ever heard the saying, the fox knows many things, the hedgehog but one? That bit of knowledge is attributed to a proverb written by the ancient Greek poet Archilochus. And while there are countless renditions of the same parable in a vast number of countries and cultures, British American philosopher Isaiah Berlin's famous 1953 essay, The Hedgehog and the Fox, is probably the most widely known here in the US. In it, Berlin divides up the world into, well, you guessed it, hedgehogs and foxes. Foxes are sly creatures able to devise a host of complex strategies for survival. The hedgehog, conversely, is less cunning. He only has one way to survive, but boy, is it effective. When prompted, he turns himself into a ball of sharp spikes and lies still. While the great divide between the two animals could be said in how each reacts to its environment, it can also be said that the difference between the fox and the hedgehog is in how they each think. People who are fox-like think of the world in terms of its detailed complexity and pursue many unrelated ends at the same time. People who are hedgehog thinkers boil a complex world down into a single unifying idea that acts as their North Star for all that they do. For a hedgehog, life is pretty simple. Anything that doesn't relate to the hedgehog just doesn't matter. On today's episode of Think Significantly, we're going to talk about how we think significantly. Hello, everyone. My name is Melissa, and I'm joined by my contemplative co-host, Pete. Good day to you, my friend, and good day to everyone joining us for our chat. Today, as promised, we're going to be talking about thinking and the relationship between thinking and intelligence. And to set the proverbial table, I want to say right up front that intelligence describes our cognitive potential, but thinking examines how we use that potential. You Wait, wait, wait. No, you can't. You can't start with that. I mean, you can, but before we dive into this, I would really like to know which is, which is better being a Fox or a hedgehog. Well, can't you make the argument that it depends on the circumstances? I mean, each has its merits, Pete. You've got the hedgehog who with his focus and central vision never wavers. And then you've got your Fox who is more open to experience, but also like extremely practical. I mean, sure. We, we could say that, but let, let me phrase it this way. The pundits, what did they say about foxes and hedgehogs? Oh, what do the greats say? I see. What Melissa thinks is, is neither here nor there, but, but what do the actual <laughs> greats say? I got you. All right. Well, I'm going to like, I see your slight and I'm going to raise you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I'm going to, I will tell you actually in preparing for this, I did some research and they're divided on this and it, I go back to what I said just five seconds ago. It depends on the situation. So you have uh, Jim Collins of good to great fame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he is like the hedgehog fan. He thinks that's, that's where it's at. Because hedgehogs know how to simplify a complex world into that single organizing idea that ties all of their thoughts together and guides their decisions. Right. And then you have... Uh, Conversely, you have Daniel Kahneman, who wrote... Um, he wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. He did. And thank you for that, because I was thinking slow there, just <laughs> right now, trying to think of the name. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, he explains in Thinking Fast and Slow, the research of a Dr. Philip Tetlock, 
who focused on expert predictors. And Dr. Tetlock found that the more confident the forecasters were about their predictions, the less accurate they were compared to random guessing. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So if we're sticking with our metaphor here, the overconfident experts would be the hedgehogs because they have this particular framework that they're sticking to. And the predictors who are less confident, albeit had greater success in their predictions, th those are your foxes. Oh, I see. Is, do you, is that because were the foxes drawing on, on multiple resources and, and more comfortable questioning themselves? I think it's, that's possible. Sure. Yeah, that's a good explanation for it. Yeah, foxes are aware that reality is a compilation of lots of different agents, lots of different forces that mm -hmm. often produce these unexpected outcomes. So you can't get too confident, man. You really can't. Sure. That's fascinating. So, so I guess we... I guess we could make the argument then that the, the hedgehog and the fox each have their merits. We could, and we could have saved ourselves five minutes of airtime, but who am I? Yes. Now, I will, say, I will say to your point that I, I'm definitely a fox type thinker. And um, I often wish that I was a little more hedgehog, a little mm. more like, you know, 42 is the answer to the ultimate question of life. That's just wow. it. Wow, 42, Reverend. Now I feel like I should have brought my towel. Insert Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe reference here. Yes. Just <laughs> <laughs> For people who are like towels, hedgehogs, yeah, yeah. what? Well, well, don't panic. We can we can get back to talking about how the way we think may be more important than how intelligent we are. Oh, I love that. Way. I, not that we're getting back to that, but yes, that's what we should be talking about. So yeah, definitely. Uh, is that what you got from our little antidote? Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, that, that, that's, that's what I came away with. I, I think uh, in your example, both the the fox and the hedgehog live, right? They inhabit the same world. They have the, the same drives. They have the same concerns, but both go about things in, in an entirely different, but ultimately brilliant way. Valid point. Yeah. Neither of those animals is smarter than the other. They're both applying what they know and what they're capable of to meet their own situations. Right. Right. I mean, could you imagine a fox curling up in a ball when it felt threatened? I mean, that just that wouldn't work at all because the fox doesn't have the tools for that to be a successful strategy. I feel like we would be sans foxes in the world if that would. <laughs> yeah, they would right? not. I think yeah. a little Darwin would have crept in by now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and to borrow from your, you know, your argument here, then the hedgehog on the prowl is going to be equally ineffectual. Mm -hmm. You know, I, let's don't get turned this into a veterinary niche show. I know we want to roll that out for next year. Right. Uh, so <laughs> let's get away from the animal metaphors and uh, let's turn to humans. Let's okay. Let's talk about the yeah. people. Yeah. Let, let's do that. But I, I want, before we, as we make this transition, I want to point out that, that there's one last advantage that I feel that both the, the fox and the hedgehog have over us humans. Besides them just being adorable, because you know, those little fox babies do not have stuffed humans sitting on their beds. They're not an I, adoration of us like we are of them. I, I, yes, besides that, because that's really creepy to think about. Um, no, I think the advantage that they have is that there is no one in the animal kingdom that's measuring how intelligent these animals are, right? No one's telling them, sure, Mr. Fox. You're doing all right for yourself, but have you seen how the bear does it? He's much smarter than you are. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't have third parties telling them that using their skills 
in the best way they can isn't measuring up to some weird standard. Mm, interesting. And I love how you called him Mr. Fox. That was, <laughs> I like how they'll, they'll put him down, man. He was not as good as a bear, but they're, by God, they're going to be respectful. Yeah, Mr. Well, Fox, you are a dumbass. Yeah. Just kidding. I mean, yes. that's right. That's a, that's the, the, the beaver doing the, the therapy and they're, they're uh, consistently polite people. They're, I mean, they're Canadian, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Those beavers, they <laughs> usually are. Yes. Uh, this, unfortunately, I'm going to bring up another animal. I didn't even mean to, but all I can think about is that Einstein <laughs> quote where he says, um, everybody's a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. I, I love that quote. I'm glad you brought that up. That It is apropos and it also ties in nicely with our with our animal metaphors that we got going on here. But yeah, humans, we not only put enormous emphasis on the importance of intelligence, but also uh, on our own definitions of what intelligence is. Mm, yes, can't wait to discuss this because I have thoughts, yes. So <laughs> why don't we start off with trying to define intelligence just so we have a base to start from. What do you say about that? Okay, no, that sounds great. I, but I feel like this is, it's going to be more of a challenge than, than just, you know, our normal uh, lay down the definition part of the episode, because, uh, because I, as you know, uh, even the experts really can't agree on a definition. Yeah, I struggled with this when I was doing my research for this podcast, because there, there a lot of people got a lot to say. So I actually formed a I was going to say coagulation. I guess it's more of like a compilation from several mm -hmm. different sources. So here we go. <laughs> Intelligence is a drum roll. <laughs> didn't sound like a drum roll at all. Uh, here it is. The ability to think, to learn from experience, to solve problems, and to adapt to shape and select environments. Well done. That was, that was uh, impressive that you could stick the landing on that because... Not that I would doubt you, but because the definition of intelligence seems to be ever evolving, right? Do you, so in, in preparation for this, I came across a paper called The Collective Definitions of Intelligence, which included something like 70 different definitions or interpretations of what intelligence entails, 70. And to be clear, you're saying 70, seven zero. Yeah, I did, seven zero, seven T. Those 70 or so definitions were then distilled down to come up with a very simple and informal definition. Thank God was, for that. Yeah, yeah, right? Because we would take the rest of the time just going through all 70. Um, but what, what they came up with, what they boiled it down to, the essence of it was intelligence measures an agent's ability to achieve goals in a wide range of environments. Oh, Wow. Oh, I love the nimbleness of the definition. Like it, that's the Simone Biles definition of <laughs> intelligence, in my opinion. That was good. Yeah, to achieve goals in a wide range of environments. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's very terse and very to the point, right? So it's a total throwback to Piaget's definition, which was uh, intelligence is what you use when you don't know what to do, when neither innateness nor learning has prepared you for a particular situation. That is flipping powerful. These, these definitions are, are so broad, though, that you almost have to wonder how, how we can even measure intelligence at all. You know, it's, well, it's, 
it's funny you should say that because honestly, not everyone agrees that IQ tests are measuring or even capable of measuring all of the facets of intelligence. And if all of the facets of intelligence could be measured formally, many people would have much higher IQ scores. What, what IQ tests are, are measuring is actually the cognitive functioning in selected domains of a person's mental repertoire. I definitely agree that there are important aspects that are not being measured, like socio-emotional skills. Mm -hmm. We're talking EQ today, remember sure. like yep. interpersonal capabilities. Mm -hmm. Those are all non-cognitive and right. you know, they're commonly referred to as those soft skills. And yet those are the things that like make or break people in the workforce and in society. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that note, why don't we pivot and segue into how IQ tests are used despite not always providing the most accurate picture of a person's intelligence? Yeah, this is where I climb up on my soapbox, people. Yes, <laughs> yes. So IQ tests are used to make decisions in a variety of contexts. This is including school and college admissions, employment opportunities, job performance, interpersonal relationships, they really are being used in a wide range of applications throughout society. And all that, despite research that suggests that there's only a weak to moderate correlation be between one's performance on an IQ test and outcomes on things like education and job performance and income levels and, and overall individual well-being. Um, what we have is really an interpretive gap between what IQ tests are believed to measure and what they actually do. Yeah, this is where I shake my fist at the sky. And say, <laughs> yes, it is that interpretive gap that adversely impacts critical factors that shape human development. And this is why I get it all froth at the mouth. Yes, it's not because I haven't had my rabies shot. We <laughs> restrict access to opportunities like education, employment, overall growth to those who fare well in the IQ test well, excluding others who don't do well on them. But, right, but what's crazy is that if we were to if we were to travel back in our in our way back time machine, which you're so fond of, and administer this test to say our grandparents, mm -hmm. they wouldn't score as well as we would, and it would have nothing to do with their cognition. Right. It would. It really has everything to do with where we're at in the timeline in the timeline of man and what the in way of thinking is. Interesting. Interesting. So, so do you think that, do you think, do you, do you suppose that thinking is like fashion then, Melissa? Do you, does it, does it have times when, when different styles are in vogue? Look, Pete, you don't, you don't want to consult me about fashion right now. I'm sitting here in yoga pants, son. Uh, but I can definitely appreciate the uh, parallel you're trying to draw. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If I asked you in what way is a dog like a bird, you would say? I would probably say that they are both animals, much, much like our aforementioned fox and hedgehog. They Indeed, they are, right. You're grouping them based on a taxonomy. But if I ask that same question like two or three generations ago, I might get something like this. Well, dogs are used to hunt birds. So mm -hmm. when you're looking at an IQ test that has a similarity section on it, how you lump things together is going to affect your score. Yeah, that's right. Sure. And 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 what that example is 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 doing is actually grouping together things based on 
an abstract category as opposed to a, a, a concrete referent. A concrete referent. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that today, <laughs> I would have a dollar. Yeah, that sounds very, <laughs> that sounds very erudite. Yes. Right. Okay. Well, to give an example, since thank since you, I, yeah, I need an example. I'm like, since, what the hell is this? Go ahead. Since I, I'm picking up what you're putting down there about maybe that's not the most common term in the vernacular. Right. Um. So if I say the word table, what do you think of? Well, I think of I think of a table. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a that's a concrete reference. Something that evokes a clear and distinct image. Now, if I say something like, like uh, justice, what image comes to mind? Justice, I, I, don't, I don't know if justice is really an image. I don't know that I can think of one thing that justice is. And, and that makes sense because as a concept with no physical manifestation, it would clearly fall into the abstract category. And these, what these tests are doing is asking us to compare these abstract reference which consequently is how we've been taught to think. And we've been taught to think that way because that's what the IQ tests measure. And it, it really gets to be quite circular. I, I'm still over here reeling because I feel like you did some street magic on me. Cause I was like, a table is a table, but justice is undefined. Yeah. Um, but anyways, back to what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, it really, I agree with you. It, it is just based on our cognitive preferences and habits. But someone who is like pairing the dog with the bird because they have a relationship outside of just being animals is not is not wrong. That's the point that I want to land on. Well, I mean, it's not wrong unless that's not the answer that the IQ test is looking for, right? And, and suddenly you're not getting into the school of your dreams because you think in a way that is outside of the box as compared to the IQ test. All right, so let me throw this at you. Okay. There's a rather well-known example of this very thing that you're talking about. And it involves the uh, Palais tribe in Liberia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, you know what I'm talking about. There's mm -hmm. a psychologist, Michael Cole and his friends. So Michael Cole at all. Uh, <laughs> he gave the members of this tribe a functional version of an IQ test. So he shows up, he's got this basket of food and like tools, containers, clothing. Mm -hmm. And he asked the tribesmen, to sort them into the appropriate categories. And the tribesmen, the Capelli tribesmen, start putting things together in functional pairings. So they put the potato with the knife. And I did just say potato. I know it came off like potato. They put the potato <laughs> with the knife because the knife is used to cut a potato. And like, this totally makes sense to me. But <laughs> the researchers were like, hmm, let's say, dismayed if you will they did a little stroking of the chin like yeah. who are these people yeah no I've, I've heard of this one and, and what what struck me as really interesting was that the researchers followed up their little uh uh demonstration i guess you'd call it with with a with a pele by asking them to arrange them uh as a fool would do it mm -hmm. and they the tribesmen immediately resorted the items into the quote unquote right categories i i'm fascinating it, it is I, right i love how our way is just the right way yes right 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 yeah but but, can, right, but to them we were fools so it, it's, it's right yeah yes i you can say all day long that 
being able to think in terms of those taxonomic categories would help them to advance more technologically or more scientifically. But I'm going to tell you, that doesn't make them, you know, that, that doesn't have anything to do with their intelligence. That's where I'm going with that. Sure. No, especially if, if measured IQ is, is varying with habits of the mind, which, I mean, those can be adopted or discarded in a generation, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me of what uh, Edwin Boring, that Harvard professor and one of the first historians of psychology said. He said, I love this. Intelligence is what the test test. Uh-huh. Meaning, you know, intelligence becomes whatever IQ tests measure. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that, and that goes hand in glove with what we've been talking about, that IQ is not really even measuring the quality of a person's mind, but more the the quality of the world that person inhabits perfect segue pete because i want to talk about how iq is affected by the environment okay that um that ted talk that i sent this morning on siblings oh yeah 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 you uh-huh. remember what it said about firstborns i know I, you will i do because i'm a firstborn and i was like yes yes i knew it <laughs> i knew when they said firstborns have a three-point iq advantage over the secondborns and secondborns have a one and a half point edge over any later siblings that I had to immediately test my, text my brothers and sisters and, <laughs> and, and let them know that I now had scientific proof of the things that I, was, uh, that I suspected all along. Right. Well, we know that part of it is the fact that those firstborns come out and they don't have any competition. They get that undivided attention from mom and dad right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also partly because we firstborn get the opportunity to mentor the younger kids. And those firstborns then go on to have a greater chance of becoming, as we know, scientists, CEOs, astronauts, than the other kids. That right, they just do. Right. Or yeah. starting their own podcasts like right, us. Right. Dare to dream. Well, dare, right. I mean, sure, you could walk on the moon, but wouldn't you rather be sitting in your office talking into a microphone at 10 to 30 at night? I mean, honestly... In some yoga pants. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. But speaking of that, now would be a good time to talk about other factors that can affect IQ scores to really drive home the point that IQ is not genetic and IQ tests are not an absolute measure of one's smarts. In other words, significant others, we want to ensure (laughs) that we emphasize that an individual's IQ is impacted by a host of factors, just in case you run across a copy of that foul 1994 book, The Bell Curve in the dollar bin and think that it has any merit. Yeah, we, right. We surely don't want you listening to this while you're sitting at the, at the Jiffy Lube or taking of the day old Sanka and thinking that an individual's IQ is not influenced by the environment they're in because it is. And if you're at the Jiffy Lube, you better be using a coupon because they will overcharge you. I'm letting you know. Anyway, sorry. Yes. So what we're saying is beyond beyond even birth order. Yes. Yeah. Way beyond. Way beyond birth order. Disparities in IQ can be because those with lower socioeconomic status have fewer opportunities. Often families that are in those lower brackets are dealing with nearly insurmountable obstacles brought on by poverty. They're dealing with things like food insecurity, poor Mm -hmm. living conditions, Mm -hmm. restricted access to information, and and overall environment not so conducive to learning. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't have to dig too far down on the Google to run across research, which 
shows that the more affluent the household, the less inhibiting environmental factors there are and the higher the IQ scores. When measured by an IQ test, right. which let's not forget, right. does not provide an accurate assessment of one's complete intelligence. Right, especially if you're subscribing to those facets that say show up in theories that espouse the merits of multiple intelligences. Right, yeah, those facets that would make you say, wow, is she clever, but are hard to measure, yes. Right, what a, what a great segue you just provided me with and, and you don't even realize it. I, I can assure you, I do not even realize it, so. <laughs> so, so I want to I want to bank this turn and talk about how we usually see quote unquote see intelligent people. Is that like I see dead people? Uh, well, see. yeah. I mean, honestly, it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So we got to talk about how we see people because nobody is carrying around a card with their IQ score on it these days. No, no, no. We're carrying around other cards these days, but <laughs> but more so based on what we've said so far in this pie podcast what what iq tests measure can only take you so far mm -hmm. right there there are a lot of other kinds of smarts out there that are wicked useful in the day-to-day -day that are just not testable but we can we can often see these traits that, that are correlated with intelligence all right let's hear what you got and i'll see if i can add to it do my part over here <laughs> okay okay um let's start with um intelligent people are adaptable right I mean, that makes a lot of sense since intelligence de depends on being able to change your own behaviors in order to cope more effectively with your environment or, or, or make changes to the environment you're in. Intelligence depends on being able to change your own behaviors or does intelligence afford you that latitude to interact better with your environment? Mm, 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 yeah, okay. Yeah, I see, I see your, your point there. And I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to do more research on this, this chicken and the egg situation you've presented. But, but I, I, I think it's safe to say that, that intelligent people are generally adaptable. How's that? And, okay. and, and to your point, we do know that another characteristic of intelligent people is that they, they think outside the box. They're the, they're the ones asking, what if we did it this way? Which, which brings me to intelligent people usually have an insatiable curiosity. It, it is true that intelligent people usually understand what they don't know. I'll give you that. Yes. Right. They, right. Yes. They understand what they don't know. It took me a second to understand what you were saying because I mm -hmm. didn't know it, but now I do. Um, right. Additionally, they're intelligent people are usually avid readers. Um, they're open-minded generally. Uh, they seek out alternative viewpoints and they, they weigh evidence fairly. Um, they also tend to have higher self-control. These all make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, let's see, they like their own company. They are, okay. they're sensitive to other people's experiences and they usually have wicked senses of humor, uh, including an appreciation for dark humor. Okay. So two things here. I think the sensitive to other people's experiences is a sign of emotional intelligence, which is not being captured by an IQ test. And the having a better sense of humor can be attributed to verbal intelligence because I know that there is a University of New Mexico study that found that professional comedians scored higher than average on measures of verbal intelligence. Right. And that, that makes a ton of sense to me because vocabulary is the, the one of the building blocks of, of reading comprehension and, and reading decoding, right? When I, 
when a person reads a sentence and knows what each word means, he or she can, can combine that information and comprehend the sentences. And if you're able to comprehend what you're reading, chances are you're going to read more. And if you read more, then you're going to score higher on some of those facets of intelligence that IQ tests while they test. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought we were doing this uh, give a mouse a cookie thing. And if you do this, <laughs> chances are the mouse will ask for a cup of milk and it'll be late at night and you will tell that mouse to go to sleep. Yes. Um, so fun fact here, mm -hmm. if you needed one quick way of measuring an individual's psychometrically measured intelligence and mm -hmm. only had that time for that one quick way, like you wanted to you're like, you need one more person for the boat, who will right. it be? Right. Uh, vocabulary is going to be the best predictor of overall score on, and on IQ tests. And that is from Dr. Robert Sternberg of Yale University. Oh, Yale. Those Yale grads are, are rarely wrong. Right? Yeah. And, and just so that I'm clear, uh, I'm guessing that when we talk about someone having a big vocabulary, we're talking about someone who knows how to use those words and use them in context. Right. Not just thrown out dollar dollar big words right <laughs> just haphazardly and you're like i'm sorry what and you're like confabulation i'm like that doesn't what do you just huh? wait a minute i use that word you're like oh. bamboozle i'm like no wait, what no yes yes you All have right. to know how to use the big words I feel good job attacked. yes i feel attacked <laughs> okay okay like, no bleep yeah i'm like yeah what do you think <laughs> Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good job, Pete. You've advanced my learning. Good. Thank you. Uh, all right. Well, I know that we've gone through a lot of information here. And while I know that it's probably close to time for us to wrap things up, I would be remiss if I didn't throw a bit of a monkey wrench in the mix here. Cue the synthesizers. It's now time for Pete and his monkey wrench, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to kill me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm punchy. It's the yoga pants. It's late, man. It's, it is right. late. I'm sorry. All right. So what's this new angle that you want to throw at me with like five minutes remaining? Okay. Well, we, we spent a lot of time talking about what constitutes intelligence and how to tell if someone is smart, but we haven't talked about the downsides of calling someone smart. Like calling them names. You're like calling them smart. So you're, I'm, you, I'm getting from the context of you using this, that there's a downside. There's a negative. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. All right. Well, what it could be the downside of you calling me smart. Well, first of all, let's say I'm your boss and I'm and I'm calling you smart in a conversation, right? I'm in, I'm implying that other people comparatively are not. Mm -hmm. And and who am I to be doling out labels like that? Mm -hmm. Right. A aside from aside from the party trick I just picked up about listening for an advanced vocabulary, what the hell do I know? when used appropriately that's right, right that's right like i thought bob was smart but he didn't know how to use the words appropriately yeah, yeah. that uh that definitely makes sense to me that makes me think of carol dweck that stanford mm. psychologist mm -hmm. and her work on the fixed mindsets right as opposed to growth mindset yeah right 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 exactly so lots of people believe that their basic qualities like intelligence or talent are simply fixed traits and they spend time documenting these attributes but not lot of time developing them yeah i'm i'm all too familiar with this kind of thought uh you know why why put my back into it if i'm already smart 
Mm-hmm. Right. Looks like my work here is done. Wipes hands. Yeah. That growth mindset, uh, that's going to take you countless more miles than that fixed mindset. I got news. Right. So, so the point here uh, is that it makes more sense to say that someone is very good at completing a specific task versus painting them with the broad brush of calling them smart. Indeedy. And if I could offer a parting shot, I would like to remind us all of Isaac Newton's quote. If I had seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants, which might, I understand, seem a little bit tangential here, but really it, it isn't. Because we have talked about intelligence now a thousand ways to Sunday. And in each instance, we've said that intelligence depends a lot on who your parents were, mm-hmm. teachers were, who you're associating with, the environment you grew up in, yeah. what you're reading, the big words you're using. Yeah, the neighborhood you lived in, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How much how fast your Wi-Fi is. I'm yeah. not even being flippant when I say that. Whether, so true. Right. Whether or not you even have Wi-Fi. Right. hundred percent. We attribute being smart to the individual, but in actuality, it is anything but. Right. And that's a, that's a profound and powerful takeaway. Um, Yeah. You definitely made me think about something else when I thought that I was all thought out. I pulled the feet is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm, what I'm saying is that I, We'd love to hear from you listeners. That's what I'm saying. Okay. We, we can connect. <clears throat> you can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at ThinkSigPod or on our Facebook page. Or on LinkedIn now. Yes, also on LinkedIn and by searching for Think Significantly. So Pete and I'll be back next week to discuss another topic. And until then, we encourage you to continue to think significantly about the world around you. Na, 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 na.